0: Thanks team. Isn't that a great song? Oh happy day. That We can know that at the, at the foot of the cross our sins are all washed away. Last week we spoke about family and the church. I was going to ask you if you remembered but I thought I won't do that. God ordained two institutions for the express purpose of communicating to each subsequent generation the knowledge of himself. These are the family and the church. In the family, the process is called parenting. In the church, it's called what? Discipleship. Families are the nurseries of both the church and the state, but whose hand is rocking the cradle? It best be us as parents who are members of the community of faith. If you think about it in a very unique and important sense, Christian parents not only have a theology because they are God's children, they teach theology every day because they have children. And there were three major points that we made last week that we wanted to to help parents in their work. Desperate parents tend to look in all the wrong places for help. It's the church's responsibility to make every parent a good theologian because a needy world is watching us. So today I want to come to, I mentioned last week, we're going to cover keys to a healthy family. And some of the uh, material that I've got this morning, I give acknowledgement to Michael McCartney from Christian Hills Church in the USA Um, ...but uh, a lot of the material that we... ...there is so much material out there that it's hard to condense... ...so i promise to get you home by lunchtime. So we're looking at seven keys to a healthy family. The first key is God is the foundation on which the family is to be built. He is to be our master architect... ...and he is our firm foundation... I mentioned last week we were going to look at Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. So Ephesians 5 and 1 tells us to imitate God. We need to be like him in the family and in the relationships within the family. We need to act and react like him. We need to use his blueprints and build on the foundation that he has laid for the family. This means love radiates out of our lives as leaders in the family. And as parents, that's exactly what we are, leaders in the family. When we talk about love, when the Bible talks about love, we mean genuine, authentic love, like God's love. Ephesians 5, the first four verses, I'm reading to you this morning from the Message Translation. Watch what God does and then you do it like children who learn proper behaviour from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us but to give everything of himself to us love like that. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, Christians have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. We need to have that extravagant love. And the best love chapter in the Bible, well-known, of course, is 1 Corinthians 13, used so often at weddings, but it is appropriate when we're talking about parenting as well. I'm going to read again to you from the Message translation. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love... I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back but keeps going to the end. Love never dies, inspired speech will be over someday and understanding will reach its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. What we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompletes will be cancelled. When I was an infant at my mother's breast, I gurgled and cooed like any infant. When I grew up, I left those infant ways for good. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us toward that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly. Love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. I think it's a great translation, that easy to, to follow and understand. <coughs> Excuse me. With God as the foundation and the model, we discover the healthy family unit starts to emerge by God-like actions and is built upwards. When we build according to his plans and use his resources, the healthy family emerges out of the ground and it grows. There are two questions that I want you to think about. Firstly, since God created the first family and it was good, why should we not follow the master builder's plan for a healthy family? Secondly, why should we even listen to the world's view on how to build a family when all their families break apart in the storms of life? Ephesians tells us what not to do further in chapter 5. No evil ways, no immorality, harsh language, swearing at each other, put-downs, character assassination, no sexual promiscuity, no lies, no deception. Don't listen to what the world tells you to do. These types of behaviour and actions will destroy the family, not build a family When people start to listen to the deceptive, empty words of the world, they start to justify that it's okay by God. The enemy enters the family through open doors. We need to ask ourselves, do we have any open doors that will allow the enemy in? We need to live lives of wisdom. Wisdom from above, James tells us. Wisdom from God's teaching and instruction. Wisdom that brings life, not death. Blessings, not curses. Ephesians 5.17 says it, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. What is God's will for the family? To honour him and reflect his nature. The second key ...to a healthy family unit is commitment to submission. Submission means the act of surrendering to a decision... ...or an action of someone else. Going to read a verse, several verses now from five, uh, Ephesians 5... ...and then uh, just comment on each one. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We in the family need to submit to one another because this brings great highs and great joy to the family. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives need to submit to their husbands as they would to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Yes, the husband is supposed to be the head of the family leading the way, but he needs to be Christ-like while doing it. He needs to be a servant leader like Jesus. Jesus said, not my will, Lord, but your will be done. We need to be the same. We are to be servant leaders with these three mottos. Firstly, I choose to lose. Secondly, I will not quit. And thirdly, no pride. It's called self-sacrifice, the Christ-like thing to do. It's a real challenge to men these days. And unfortunately, too many men have not taken up that challenge. We are to be the leaders of our families. It's biblical to do that. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. We're talking, of course, here in the spiritual realm. Wives need to submit to their husbands as he follows Christ. Verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands need to love their wife and family like Christ loves the church. We need to open up our arms uh, on the cross and die to ourselves and live for the Lord and serve our families with the help of God. Verses 26 and 27 goes on, uh, giving himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. If you build on God's foundation and follow his blueprints, your family will be clean and holy. We need to present our families to God without a hint of evil in them. No stains, no wrinkles, no compromise. As we seek to ruthlessly keep evil out of our families, God will bless them. No works of the flesh... Only the fruit of the spirit. No pornography, no immorality, no drugs, no selfishness, no ego that edges God out, no deception. This act of commitment also involves love. That's the agape love as Jesus has for us. It's a love that sacrifices for others, that treats people like God would treat people. It always loves, always forgives, and always protects. Verse 28, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Men, we need to love our wives and our families like our own bodies. As much as we are looking after ourselves and making sure that we are okay, we need to ensure that our families are also... Verse 29 After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. We need to feed our families and care for them just like we take care of ourselves, both physically and spiritually. Verse 30 For we are members of his body. Why do we need to to feed the family spiritually? because we are members of the body of Christ. Verse 31, For this reason a man will leave his father (coughs) and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The goal of the husband and wife is to become one, because that's what makes us to be an imitator of Christ. The husband and wife are to work together as one, and imitate God's character through the two working in unity. We become one with Christ as we unite together, and it's symbolic of the relationship Christ has with his bride, the church. Of the world's three great institutions, the three being the home, the church, and the state, the home is the oldest and most sacred The home consists of the family unit, which is the cohesiveness that holds society together. The family is bonded together by the union of two individuals who unite in love and make a covenant relationship with each other and with God. The third key to a healthy family is loyalty and faithfulness to our marriage and spouse. We must have strong moral values Infidelity creeps up on a marriage because of broken relationships and lack of love for the other. Faithfulness to the marriage is a matter of honouring God's way. I heard this week uh, on the news that divorce in Australia currently is costing us $14 billion a year. We as Christians and the church also need to show an example to the world of strong and faithful marriages so that others will ask, what is different in your marriage? And we have the opportunity of presenting the gospel to those who ask. The fourth key is respect for your spouse as a friend. You must want to please and support the other. Verse 33 says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. This means being partners together in the family. This means communicating in a positive way. We in the family must have 10 positive remarks to every one negative remark we make. When couples go for counselling, their number one complaint is is communication chaos. Communication breakdown happens when respect is gone. Respect and honour for your spouse is essential. This means supporting the other in dealing with the children. In other words, mum and dad need to always be on the same page. This means showing others that you love each other in public and private. This also includes the children. Now, I'm not saying for a minute that mum and dad never have a disagreement over things. Of course that's going to happen. What we do, though, is we handle those disagreements in private with each other, not in front of the family. I said that we need to show love for each other, and particularly in front of the children. In growing families, we have something that we call couch time. Some of you may have heard of it. Couch time is where mum and dad take the time out in the day to sit down and talk to each other. Now, there's a novelty. No television, no paper, nothing. Just mum and dad sitting together and talking. Now, you don't put the children away in the bedroom while you do it. The idea is the children are around you while you do it so they can see that, that, that you communicate and that you love each other. It's obvious to them this couch time's a great thing to do. The fifth key is you need to be a good parent. Now, a good parent is one who does the following. You have your spiritual life in order and you are focused on Christ. This means that your spiritual commitment directs your life and the way you respond to life's issues. You're not satisfied with being a survivor of parenthood you actually want to enjoy life and benefit from raising your kids. You want to make a difference, and it shows in your children. You understand that you are accountable for, to uh, to God for the way you have raised your children. Deuteronomy six issued some uh, the commandments there with Moses giving them to the children of israel and They read as follows. These are the commands, decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that, that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, you realise raising your children for God has divine rewards and a divine purpose. You've learned that personal happiness comes from self-sacrifice, not self-gratification. You model for your children a biblical lifestyle and exhibit being a good role model. Love is quality time. Good parents spend time with each other and with the children. The sixth key is you need to have a strong faith in God and be willing to pass it on to your children. You need to be their teacher. That is, you are intentional about your faith. You teach the children to pray. You share God's story and your story with your children. Then they pass on, eventually, their story. When the church and families unite, God does miracles. The seventh key is having the willingness to forgive and be forgiven. And this is a big one. Why should you forgive? Charles Stanley gives us reasons why in his book called The Gift of Forgiveness. He says, A person who has an unforgiving spirit is always the real loser, much more so than the one against whom the grudge is held. He adds, unforgiveness, by its very nature, prevents individuals from following through on many specifics of the Christian life and practically necessitates that they walk by the flesh rather than by the spirit. He also says in his book on how unforgiveness devastates the one who refuses to forgive and he summarises it this way. When we choose to not forgive... In one relationship, we discover that it spills into other relationships and destroys them. When the unforgiving person stands around and waits for the other to make restitution, he loses out on life because they never make any progress in their game. That sad fact is as they are standing around waiting, they form fleshly patterns of behaviour and incorrect thought processes. Stanley goes on to say, regardless of how wrong the other person may have been, refusing to forgive means reaping the corruption in life. And that corruption begins in one relationship, including the relationship with God, and works its way into all the rest. John MacArthur gives us reasons why we need to forgive in his book, The Art of Giving and Receiving Forgiveness. He says, Unforgiveness imprisons people in the past. I always say, Don't let the past dictate the future. Unforgiveness provokes bitterness. The Bible calls it the root of bitterness. MacArthur states, Bitterness is the cancer of the heart. He goes on to say, Forgiveness is the most godlike act that a person can do. Forgiveness affirms unmerited love. God promises his love to those who forgive others. Forgiveness prevents hate. Unforgiveness results in discipline by God. The unforgiving will not be, sorry, will not be forgiven by God. Jesus makes it very clear that we have to forgive. This is the primary reason that we are to forgive others is because he said so. When we teach this in our classes, and Growing Families classes, we say that it is not good enough to just say sorry, as this keeps us in control of the situation. We need to go one step further and ask, will you please forgive me, as this transfers control from us to the wronged person. Some good news points for the family shared by Gary Collins in his book called Family Shock. Some of you may have read that book. And these are the points that he makes. Despite all the change and turmoil that disrupts family life, God is still aware of what is going on and is still in control. Even though divorce rates are high, most marriages stay intact. The majority of families are not seriously dysfunctional. No family is perfect and without problems and periodic crises. All parents make mistakes, but most of their children survive very well, even without therapy and 12-step programs. When families and marriages have problems, seek help. It is possible, but admittedly more difficult, to have good marriages Healthy families and stable children, even when we live in bad environments or in chaotic, immoral, God rejecting society. We can raise children successfully even if we don't have all the answers. We can raise children successfully even if we aren't perfect. Sure, that shocks most of you. Even good parents sometimes have rebellious children. Even bad parents sometimes have healthy, well-adjusted children. When things are not going well in your family, that does not mean that all is hopeless. Often it's a case of this too will pass. And lastly, we don't understand everything that happens to us, but always remember this, God cares about each of our families. But the key we need to learn in all this is we need to build families that are strong and flexible and able to stand firm in the storms and changes this society is bringing against it. Building strong family units takes work and sweat, but it's possible. God promises to give us the desires of our heart if we place him first in our lives. The family is his design and plan for every person on the face of the earth. We are all part of a family. Often we think of examples of TV families uh, and some TV shows that portray them. Might be going back a few years here, but you might remember the, the Waltons, Leave It To be the Partridge Family, um, Bill Cosby's show, The Brady Bunch, all of these, and the thoughts go on. But if you really want to see a beautiful example of a good, healthy family on television, get hold of the series Little House on the Prairie. It is a great example of a functional family and we use it all the time in our growing families. So I've talked a lot this morning about families in the sense of families with children, but I know that there are families... That do not have children. I know that there are singles uh, that uh, don't have um, fa- don't have children, of course. But where did the family? Where was the family instituted? It was instituted, of course, with Adam and Eve. Not when Cain and Abel were born. God instituted the family with Adam and Eve, and we need to remember that we. As a couple, when we get married, we are instantly a family. We don't need to wait for children. So all the challenges that I've been talking about this morning, apart from the children, we are still a family and we have a responsibility to act as a responsible family and to show the world what a Christian family looks like. And we, as we, carry, we talked last week about being the church, part of the church as well. We set an example to the world by the way we live our lives. Whether we're married, whether we're single, whether we have children or not, people are still watching us because we are a church family and we are in a glass house as far as the world is concerned. Grandparents, we get left behind sometimes, particularly if your children don't live in the, uh, close by you there. But as grandparents, we are still responsible for acting as a family within the church and setting an example to the world around us. As we said earlier, the family was and is designed by God. It was designed to be a place of safety from the world. It's an environment where the art of nurturing takes place. It's a location where children are born and raised. It's where love takes place on a daily basis. It's where encouragement is dished out in large doses, where discipline is found and respect is taught. It's a place that changes and adapts with time. It goes from taking care of the infants, to the toddlers, to the preteens, to the teenager, and eventually sending them off as adults into the world to build their own family units. Theodore Roosevelt once said, No other success in life, not being president or being wealthy or going to college or writing a book or anything else, comes up to the success of the man or woman who can feel that they have done their duty and that their children and grandchildren rise up and call them blessed. Chuck Swindle said of the family, Whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life, the anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due, the single most influential force in our earthly existence. So what are the seven keys again? Number one, build on God's foundation and use his blueprints. Number two, commit and submit to each other, ..and the family unit. Number three, be loyal and faithful to the family and to each other. Number four, respect each other in the family. Number five, be a godly, good, sorry, good, godly parent. Number six, teach your children about the Lord and his ways. And number seven, forgive one another like Christ forgave each of us. It's a challenge to uh, what I've said this morning because nobody said parenting was easy. It is the only job that we are ever given without a reference manual. Is that true? No, it's not. What's the greatest reference manual we have? God's Word. And we can find so many answers to families and to parenting in God's Word. If you don't believe me, read Proverbs. Proverbs is the greatest book of instruction and help for most things in life, but certainly for parenting. Uh, As I said before, Lynn and I are starting a course on Monday, August the 4th called Parenting from the Tree of Life. Now, this is a new course that's just been released by Growing Families. It's six weeks on Monday nights, commencing Monday, August the 4th, uh, and it's here at Lakes. If anybody is interested in having a look at this course, uh, c- come and talk to us afterwards. lynn has got some brochures with her this morning that we can give you. But um, this is um, not a replacement for um, Growing Kids God's Way, as some of you have already done. This is a new course that adds to that and just helps in the raising of our children. But it's, it's a, a course for parents, not for children, so we need to ask you to um, get babysitters if it's at all possible so that you can both attend. It's good for single parents and it's good for blended families. So um, use this as a, as a possibility of coming along and just getting the help and encouragement that you need, that we all need. So come and talk to Lynn and I afterwards. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging our need of you, particularly in our families, as you've entrusted the task of encouraging and helping and uh, just supporting children, as you've entrusted us with the task of helping, encouraging and supporting each other. Lord, we know that we need your help. So Father, this morning we just ask that you will just open our hearts to receive your word, just allow you to speak into our lives to help us with the things that we struggle with and help us to remember that you are always there, that you are always available to us when we need help. So, Father, we just thank you for the family, both our own families and also our church family. And Lord, we just pray that you will bless us, each one, in our daily lives. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.